This episode is brought to you by Resource Consulting Services, Australia's leading provider of holistic, regenerative farm business education and advisory services. The Grazing for Profit School has been delivered in every Australian state to more than 5,500 farmers, empowering them to increase profit, lift the health and production of their land, improve relationships in their business and enhance their work-life balance. Learn more at rcsaustralia.com.au Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Conversations in the agricultural and rural community pertaining to mental health generally don't go beyond raising awareness of mental health itself. We think it's time for the conversation to move forward from simply saying, it's okay not to be okay, and to discuss what we can do to look after ourselves when we aren't okay. We also think that it's time to acknowledge the spectrum of mental health issues we all face because the conversation generally tends to sit around the extremes of depression, anxiety and suicide. We aren't minimising these at all, but we want to make space for other issues. In this episode, I sit down with Matilda Robinson, who grew up on her family's cattle station in the Gascoigne region of Western Australia. Matilda first started experiencing anxiety around the age of nine, but didn't recognise what it was until her late teens. We speak about her experience trying to balance seeking help for anxiety and depression while living in remote parts of Australia, finding the right mental health professional, and what she does on a day-to-day basis to maintain her mental health. Please note that this episode may be triggering for some people, so it may be best to listen in the company of support. Quick note, guys, I've had this episode reviewed by a mental health professional, and as such, you're going to hear a couple of edits in this episode where I'm going to jump on and add in some commentary after the fact. Matilda and I did the best we could during recording, but upon reflection, there's a few things we'd like to clarify and language that we think needs to be changed. I think society as a whole in recent years or the last decade or so has really started quite a conversation around mental health. Um, and of course, as with many things or many things socially, the rural industries or country people or the ag industry, however you want to put it, is always a bit kind of where the lag is. We're always a little bit late to the party. Mm-hmm. But we've certainly um, started a conversation in the last however many years, you know, and it's certainly built up about kind of breaking down that stigma around mental health. Definitely. Talk to me about what you've seen with that. The biggest thing that I've seen with it is just the awareness 
behind it. It was just for such a long time, it was just something that just no one ever spoke about. And there was, like you say, there was just that stigma behind it. It was just you dealt with it on your own and nobody ever talked about it between themselves, but people are being more open about it now and talking about it. And I think the more people that talk about it, the more people realise that they do have to look, you know, they might have issues with their own mental health that they didn't actually realise they had problems with until someone else said, oh, I have an issue with this and this. That person might go, oh, that's funny. I didn't actually realise, but I also have that issue. And just that awareness of it, uh, I think, has I've seen a big difference in that. And not only just the awareness of it, but people, um, I suppose knowing how to handle it when someone else is having struggles with their mental health, I suppose. That I think we still have a long way to go, but it's it's getting there, you know. Just that awareness is, it has to be the first step. So, I think there's definitely a huge awareness and it has started to shift. I think I feel like traditionally it was a lot of um, linked to in this industry. When we talk about mental health, it was always related to drought, um, or, you know, hard times and it was, um, y- you know, farmers that would commit suicide. And that was, I feel, or, you know, or, or I feel like that's where a lot of the conversation kind of hung around for a really long time. I'm not trying to take away from that, but that's really where the focus was for yeah. a long time. And then it started to kind of now come out a bit more broader to include people of all ages and both genders. And whereas before, I just feel like it was very much centered around that. And then not just suicide, but kind of more of the spectrum of different issues people can face. But part of the reason I wanted to do this episode with you is that I feel like there's so much to happening in this space with creating awareness, but we just kind of seem to be stuck in that part of the conversation and no one's really talking about what happens afterwards. And so, like you said, I think a part of that is what you do if somebody comes to you. I think that's certainly been touched on a little bit, but what I really want to see and explore with people, hopefully throughout a few different podcast episodes is, okay, when you recognize that you have something that needs to be addressed with your mental health, what do you actually do? Because I think so many of the things we hear from from other people are their stories. And obviously, I think that's important and it's great when people can share stories, but it's also not necessarily like, you know, today we're going to talk about our mental health mm-hmm. and I'm not going to ask you what the activating event or the triggers or the precursors or anything were. I want to talk about what, you know, how your symptoms manifest and present and then what you actually do to treat them because I think that's where the conversation really isn't being had yep. and we always we just seem to get stuck up on hearing people's stories which which are still very important because I think it shows that it doesn't you know there's not just one story or one set of circumstances that can lead to mental health issues but we just never seem to move past the story and to actually like well what are we doing and if I I think it's great every time I see it's okay not to be okay and, and whatnot and all those kind of things. But okay, cool. So you're not okay. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And that's where I want to take this episode. So tell me your thoughts on, on that and what you've noticed. It sort of doesn't go any any further than than talking about it, um, which I think is really sad because I think a lot of people could really benefit from treatment, basically. Um, I know me personally, on and off over the years, I've seen professionals um, and while 
you know, there's still a lot of, it's not an easy way out by all means. You still have to do a lot of work on yourself. But talking to a professional has made a difference for me personally because it's just helped me understand why I have the thought patterns and the anxious thoughts and the depressive thoughts and those patterns that have been so long ingrained in me. Um, Understanding why I do those things Again, I suppose that creates that awareness in myself so then I can work on changing them. But I also probably wouldn't be aware of those things without having seen that professional. And it also just takes away that feeling like you're crazy, I think. You know, someone to be like, righto, well, you feel this way because of this and, you know, this chemical imbalance or, or you know, this trauma or whatever. They sort of just break it down so that it makes sense. And that for me was really helpful personally. And I think definitely talking about it, but um, it only ever seems to, when people talk about it, it only ever seems to be that first conversation and then it's sort of just never brought up again. And it's, I just think that's silly because it's not like you can have one conversation and the problem's all of a sudden gone and it's never just one prob- one conversation um problem it's or it's something you need to be aware of and to talk about regularly and I think talking about it regularly with people who understand it can be really really helpful part of the reason I'm really looking forward to recording this episode with you is that we are going to be talking about both of our experiences with mental health and just demonstrating that you know again with that conversation when people are talking about it it does really seem to just go straight to the extremes of anxiety, depression, but suicide. Mm. And and then so people will be like, oh, but I'm not super depressed and I can get out of bed each day and mm. I'm not suicidal. I don't have issues. I don't have issues. And you and I are, are not suicidal. We can get out of bed every day, but we've both had our struggles with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also just, that's the thing I see. And it's and that it's not just anxiety and depression. I mean, Jane Sale, the founder of Central Station, has written a beautiful article about her um, struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder, which she struggled with silently for four, almost five years before she sought professional help. We've had other people um, write about depression, uh, anxiety, but yeah, really breaking it down that it's not just, I'm not suicidal. So there's just, you know, I don't have mental health issues. Well, I'm a very high functioning person and yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, that doesn't mean you don't have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> so before we get into it, I think we should probably learn a little bit about who are you and where you're from. So I actually grew up in the upper Gascoigne on um, Yinnathara and Mount Phillip station. So Carnarvon, which is about 1000 kilometers roughly north of Perth and then inland from there, obviously being a coastal town, but uh, Yinnathara and Mount Phillip were about 350 kilometres inland from there, so that was our nearest town, and that was where myself and all my three siblings, we were all born there. So, yeah. Let's talk about when you first recognised that you had issues, and then when you recognised it, I suppose there's a difference between you first re- recognised it and when you first actually probably started having yeah. issues, yep. so we probably don't always cotton on as soon as it happens. And that was definitely the case with me. Okay, so here's the first correction that I'd like to make. It wasn't the correct language. And Matilda and I did actually debate about this before recording. We're like, how do we talk about this? Do we call it issues, struggles, problems? What do we say? And we're like, well, we'll just go with issues. But upon reflection and having uh, liaise with mental health professionals, it isn't really appropriate to say issues because 
The word issues is quite insular, so it would have been more appropriate to ask Matilda when did she first know that she was struggling or perhaps when she felt something wasn't quite right. It's certainly not um, best practice to refer to it as issues. I think when I first started to realise that I had issues with my mental health, uh, I was probably, I'm going to say late teens, early 20s. Uh, I think that was when I very first saw a psychologist, or she was a therapist, um, in Carnarvon. And to be honest with you, at that time, I only had a couple of sessions with her and I just didn't gel with her personally and I just didn't really feel like she helped me. She was sort of just that that, that standard therapist that sort of just sat there and was like, well, how did that make you feel? And I was like, well, this is not helping me. This isn't helping get to the root of things, basically. So what can I ask, what was it um, that made you think, okay, I need to go and book in and see a therapist? I was feeling very, very down about life, feeling very lost, feeling very unmotivated I just had no drive I didn't same that same old story you hear about people not wanting to get out of bed every day um I was very confused I was just very I was very anxious but I was also just so tired and I wasn't sleeping and a lot of the very typical um symptoms I suppose but it was just very consistent and then too I suppose I had went through phases where I'd be okay and I still do go through these phases where I'm okay and then I won't be okay and then I'll be okay and it was sort of just the the not so okay phases were getting more prominent which I suppose is what made me think that I needed to do something about it. And so at that time were you still out on your family station? No that was not long after I actually moved into Carnarvon. Okay. After I'd finished school. So that obviously would have been um a benefit of living in town is that you had... Yeah, I had access to help, which I know I've also been in um, times in my life where I probably needed the access to help and haven't had it too. So I was quite lucky, but at the same time, I struggled to find a mental health professional um, that I actually genuinely felt was going to make a difference. Yeah. When you started talking to someone, so that was when you when you decided to, that you needed help. Mm-hmm. When looking back beyond that, when do you think you first started to start experiencing challenges? Looking back on it, I can probably look back to maybe when I was below maybe the age of 10, so 8, 9, I think. Um, maybe just how I coped with something that might have happened or... Yeah, just looking back, there are definitely things that make me wonder. And so, yeah, can I ask, can we talk a bit more about how how your symptoms presented back then? Like, what were you experiencing? A lot of anxiety, I think. Um, I don't really know how to explain it, to be honest with you. No, that's right. Without, I suppose, so, you know, anxiety itself presents, oh, and this doesn't just have to be when you're 10, but, you know, between between when it first started and when you sought help, you know, for some people, anxiety can be like this fear of, you know, I don't want to go outside. The world's a dangerous place, you know, Mm. um, you know, so that's for some, some people, or for me, it's more of a, everybody hates me. They're looking at me like, why don't I fit in? More like a social anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So is that what you experienced? Yeah, definitely. I definitely have memories of having that social anxiety and being somewhere and feeling like everyone was looking at me or judging me or, you know, um, 
I remember being at school of the year and going to school camps and just feeling so out of place, just like I didn't fit in and I hated it. I hated school camps because I just, I just didn't feel comfortable. I just didn't really feel like anyone liked me. And yeah, it was a really, it was looking back, it was actually a really horrible experience. It's brutal as mm. a child because you don't know what you don't know. And, and even if you did know stuff back then, nobody has the mental capacity at the age of 10 to be able to stop and think or even if somebody's sitting down and talking to you like you can't really mm. no you know. no I, I didn't understand such formative years as well like yeah. I found that the anxiety I've had as a child and mate as a lot as a teenager like the impact that's had on my life yeah well it, that carried through to all through boarding school as well those same those same intrusive thoughts so yeah it's um, it has definitely made a very big impact, but I think 10, 11 years later, I'm finally getting to the point where I recognise why, uh, why I felt that way and probably and how to handle it too and how to change because it's been a long time. So those habits and those mental, that mental process is very ingrained. So it's, it's hard work to change that. Yeah, but I also think that that speaks volumes to the fact that you've persisted with it because particularly, and I want to get into this now, you said the first person you went and saw that you sought help from, you didn't really gel with and it wasn't the right fit. And there are so many different options for help these days. We've got in person, over the phone, online, text messaging services. You've got therapists, counsellors, psychologists, psychiatrists, then even within that, there's there's just a whole matrix of of mental health professionals, and um, you know, then then even say you see a psychologist, they have different. So a couple of years ago, 2018, I I started off with one in Broome, and she did ACT. I think it was called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Commitment Therapy, and I was like, is this like wedding therapy? <laughs> like the whole commitment <laughs> yeah. thing. I was like, what? And after 10 sessions, I was like, mate, I'm just not vibing this. Like, yeah. I wanted to really – it takes a lot, though, to be like, oh, I'm not vibing. And then you're like, well, oh, but am I just not – am I just not giving it a go? Or yeah. is this not yeah. the right fit? And so, you know, the, it would be so easy to go, no, nah, I'm not getting anything out of this, and then you just bush it. And to be honest, I did that with the yeah. second one, went for six sessions, and I was like, bloody hell, there's just no one good in broom. Yeah. So after 16 sessions in 2018, I was like, bugger it, and I just didn't – yeah, didn't. just didn't follow it through. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you? How long did you end up seeing that lady for in Carnarvon? Oh, not very long. Um, I think I only had a few sessions with her, and then I tried someone else for a while there as well. Some years later, um, same thing again. She was better, um, but still the same thing. I just didn't really feel like I was going to get anywhere anywhere with her. And then it was actually when I was in Queensland last year. I was starting to get to that point where the lows were a lot more significant than the highs um, and I was struggling and I was just getting really mentally exhausted. I was very drained mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, so I went to see the GP. Uh, that's when I was in Mundubra in Queensland and he said suggested a program. It's through like a Skype sort of session, not Skype, but similar, and it's actually called Psych Help. He suggested I um, set up on that, and that's he – I don't know if he does it or if they choose someone on their end. Anyway, he just asked me a heap of questions and did, like, a questionnaire. They matched me with someone, and I've had probably, I think, 
10 or 12 sessions with her now and I do it all over the internet, um, which has been good because obviously I've moved from Queensland to the Northern Territory and she's actually in New South Wales. So it's been really convenient for me because wherever I have internet reception, I can just turn on my laptop and have a and have my session with her. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's quite a long time though from when you were seeing that first psychologist in Carnarvon to last year. Yeah. Probably about a not quite but almost ten year yeah, time about period. Eight, nine years, and yeah. so I know you've you've I wanna now kind of fill in the gaps between that. Yeah. Um so you, you saw the first person, it didn't really it didn't really gel what what did you do after that? How long was it until you decided to try and get help again? Probably would have been about four or five years. And in that time, did you confide in anybody else, whether professionally or personally, about how you were feeling and what you were? Personally, yeah, but professionally, no. And even then, I probably, the people that I was confiding in, probably I wasn't opening up to them completely. And that's where that having that one conversation to, you know, you have that sort of one conversation with someone and be like, oh, you know, I'm feeling a bit down, I'm struggling, you know, I'm not really feeling motivated, I'm not feeling energetic, I'm not feeling driven, feeling a bit lost, blah, blah, blah. You have that one conversation and then that's it. Yeah. It sort of doesn't go any further than that and I think I kind of just battled on by myself for that period of time and then, yeah, it got, again, got to that point where I thought I need to try and see someone. I did. Um, and then I actually ended up going overseas, which was why I didn't have any more sessions with her. She was good. Um, the second one that I saw, she wasn't too bad, but yeah, then I went to Canada, um, and I stopped my sessions with her and then I came back from Canada and I knew I wasn't staying in town, so I didn't bother going back. I think there's a lot of synchronicities between our stories and the, the, challenge of finding good help with the lives that we've led. We've both moved around a lot. We've both been overseas. I knew that I, you know, for the last 10 years, I haven't really stayed anywhere longer than like six months at a time. Like and then when I was in America, there was two years I was in the same town, but always traveling. And then recently two years in Broome. But I remember the whole time I lived in America, I knew I needed to go and talk to someone. Yeah. And I was just like, nah, it's too hard in another yes. country. Health insurance, ridiculous. Yes. I'm never around anywhere. And then it really, for me, it really became quite prominent in 2017, which was my final year yeah, that I lived really overseas. Funny. It was the same year for me. Right. Then. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went to Canada. And that year, though, I lived in Texas for a few months and I went out to Wyoming and then came back to Texas. And I was like, well, listen, I'm, I'm never anywhere for more than a few weeks or months at a time. Like, there's no point yes. starting. You know, you start with someone, you have a few sessions and you go somewhere else and you have to start all, all over, over again. again. Yeah. And it just, you know, but at the same time, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's not the right way to handle it either. No. It just you put it in the too hard basket. Yeah, which is not good because it do- then you it just it doesn't get it. It you know it gets worse. Yeah. over time and it doesn't then, get better. And then even if you're not moving around, so say for people you know this is a cattle station podcast, and a lot of people will be living rural and remote, and they may be working on the same property or living in the same town. But if you are out of town, I think it can be very difficult because you it's in this line of work and this is a conversation I think really needs to be or something that really needs to be considered by everybody in this industry is that for the most part people don't have their own agency Mm. so 
you know that and I mean I, I've worked on places where I've not even known what we were going to do like that morning like that morning you'd get to breakfast and be like bloody hell like what are we going to do I know some places they run really good shows and you've got like the next two months and obviously things can always change but you've got the next two months out yeah. there we're mustering here we're trucking here we're going to this rodeo this camp shop like but you've got no you know if you want to and you don't often get you don't know when you're going to get days off or um, if you get days off yeah if you get days off so <laughs> yeah. if you want to go into town and book a doctor's appointment like for then if you're if you're going all the way into town you need to pick up all the shopping all the parts do all the things yes but then even then like well why do you want a day off to go into town like you know why can't you There's just wait like until judgment we, why can't you just wait to have the saturday or a sunday off or, yeah oh, doctors aren't open you know yeah so and i think um, I know you've spoken to me previously about feeling really guilty for taking time off work to go and seek help. Where were you at the time or what were you doing at the time where you had to take time off work to go to your appointments? Uh, station work. Yeah. Working on stations, yeah. And so how did you navigate that conversation with your employer to say, hey, like were you, did you feel like you could be honest or did you say you needed to go have an appointment for something else? Uh, purely because I was a contractor, I c- could kind of make my own rules a little bit and just be like, I'm not available this day. But also because I'd been working basically full time for them for a long period of time. Also sort of made that was where the guilt came into it because I felt, you know, I knew how busy we were and because I was there co- so consistently, I felt like they were sort of relying on me to be available. Um, <clears throat> but I was lucky because... I could just say to them, look, you know, um, I can't do this day, I have an appointment. And then it was actually after a few weeks, I think, when it sort of be- I became aware of the fact that these appointments were going to become consistent. Um, and I worked, you know, it sort of got to the point where I was having them, I think I started off every fortnight and then after a while we went back to every month, I think, once a month. Uh, so... Uh, when I knew that I was going to be having these appointments consistently, I did explain to my boss why, because I wanted him to be aware of it. Because then uh, for that guilt, basically, just so then I didn't feel bad about saying to him, look, um, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And if he was going to judge me for that, then I guess I just told myself that was more of a reflection on him than it was me because that was something at that time well even now like it's something that I needed to prioritize for myself and if he wasn't understanding of that then there also wasn't an environment I wanted to be in either so I think that's a really important point to make you Mm. know if somebody's not willing to support you when you're seeking out help it will actually support you and yes you know I don't know what the answer is for, say, for the people listening to this who work on stations. I think there's also this stigma that still, even though we're, you know, it's okay not to be okay and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, well, yes, I want to work here and, oh, but I'm only here for a season and, or it's my first year here and, well, I'll look, I'll, they might think I'm defective or I'm not very mm. good at my job or I'm, I'm a bit of a risk or, you know, they won't want yeah. to hire me or have me back if I don't know how we get past that. I think that comes from within yourself. I really do. Um, and that's that's that awareness. I think that's where that awareness comes into it of being aware of the fact that it is something that you need to prioritise. And I suppose whether you want to prioritise it, like do you want to make a difference in your own life and do something about it and 
try and work through these issues, knowing why you have these issues, how to handle them, how to try and change the way you are, or do you want to keep going through those phases of feeling like crap, basically? Yeah, it's just a big cycle. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose it, it's really dependent on the individual. I know for me personally, I, I got to the point where I wanted to make that difference. So I was like, well anyone else and that's in my life is just going to have to deal with it basically yeah i think um, i i yeah. would hope that maybe some managers and owners listening to this i, I mean some people may it may just never have crossed their mind but you know something that and it doesn't just affect the, you know this this topic of mental health but when you really think about it in this industry compared to if you had a regular it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're not it's not about being remote because you could be a remote electrician or this or that and yes things come up but for the most part in the pastoral space you just don't have much agency over your own over your own time you sometimes you don't know and i i get that things change things come up oh our boats come up you know we're all gonna have to muster whatever but for the most part you still just don't compared to any other job ever anywhere else and i think that's something that's gonna have to change eventually if this industry wants to be able to retain people or have people for more than a year because i mean that's a whole other episode in itself yep but, you know, I don't see why somebody can't work on a station and still be able to receive help, whether it's in yeah. person or online, whether they go, you know, hey, once a fortnight I go oh, into town yeah. for this. And even, to be honest with you, like the online option, it's, it's great. there's so many of them now. Yeah. And I think that that's just awesome because it just it opens up the doorway for so many people. Oh. And, and I think, too, if you can – even if it's just once a month for an hour – yeah. That's such little time, and if a, if a head stockman or a manager or whatever can't allow their staff to allow um, to prioritize their yeah. own mental health for one hour a month during business hours too, I think it's important to know. Yeah, because you know you're not really going to get to have your psychologist meeting at seven o'clock at night. No. I mean, there might be some services that do after hours, but for the most part, it's going to be during the day. It is, yeah. Oh, but we've got to go out mustering that day. Okay, well. I'll either work around the homestead today or I'll come out and meet you at the yards yeah. and you yard it up. You know, yeah, exactly. We've got to be more flexible. Oh, with this. absolutely. If if people, if they want to look after their staff, so, it's, it has and to. And imagine how more productive your staff will be and yes. the retention and the flow on effects would just be. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. Okay, I'm back with another update. So after speaking to a mental health professional, we learnt that, you know, where we just said, you know, even if you're seeing someone for just one hour a month, you know, it's better than nothing, you know, as long as you're seeing someone, that's actually not right. So depending on the severity of somebody's symptoms and the way they're presenting themselves, that's going to impact the way it needs to be treated. And once a month might actually be useless for some people. And not only might it be useless because it's too infrequent, it can also actually be quite detrimental because people get down on themselves, you know, thinking, well, this isn't working. And then it kind of spirals from there. So quite often uh, in the beginning, when people need to seek help once a month, once a fortnight, it isn't actually often enough. So we've certainly, I feel like we've taken this conversation a bit beyond the the standard of, um, you know, it's okay not to be okay. I don't want to keep saying, I'm I, full, I would like to say I fully fully stand behind that. It is okay not to be okay. But I just, for me, I'm just like, yeah, but what are you going to do afterwards? Because yeah. as I said, I I come across a lot of people that have different, are struggling with different aspects of mental health, whether it's PTSD or even, you know, 
when we think suicide, particularly up in the partial space, the 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 suicide rates in the Kimberley are pretty much the highest in the world when it comes to Indigenous people. And so I think when people hear there's been a suicide in the Kimberley, they just assume it's in an Indigenous community. And I'm not I'm not trying to take away from that at all. Um, but there was a ringer stationed hand in the Kimberley who committed suicide a couple of years ago. I've heard stories of, I think it was a pilot also, um, even in the Territory last year, or was it the year before, there was another young station hand who attempted and was brought into town and was actually turned away from the hospital because they're not gazetted to cope with it. I know that's a whole other episode in itself. Oh just, God. but, and then I've got, um, we, you know, we've had Jane with her PTSD, but then I know someone else who's struggling with PTSD at the moment after a traumatic experience in the industry. Then there's just, so what I want to do now is actually talk about what, so aside from the fact that, you know, it's, it's about trying and committing to getting help and finding the right fit. And I think we've kind of covered off on it is important to find someone who's the right fit. So now I want to talk about what we both do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think it's enough to just say, Oh, I asked for help. Like yeah. what? But then I think like, but what do you do? So are you seeing, is it a clinical psychologist? And do you know, if there's a particular style of therapy or, or what, you know, is there something? She, I remember the one thing that I actually liked about her to start with when I first getting first started having my sessions with her was that she actually said she doesn't stick to one particular style. She changes it and uses parts of all these different styles to suit the individual. And I was like, well, that's good because I remember – one of the first ones that I saw in Carnarvon, she, I think they call it EFT, the tapping. Have you ever heard of no. that? It's like you tap in like certain areas of your body and it's like pressure points and it's meant to help rewire your brain anyway. She was doing that with me and I, I just couldn't get into it. For me at the time, I was quite young. Oh, actually, I think I might have. Yeah. I don't know if it's EFT or NF. I think it's a neurological, like yeah. a neuroscience thing. Yeah. And I mean, it probably does work, but at that point in time for me, I was just like this, I just, I don't know, I just felt like she was some crazy old lady just tapping on my face. A lot face. of woo-woo. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. She was like trying to perform some witchcraft on me. Um, so with the lady that I have been seeing, she's been good. And that's why I liked her was because she said, for that reason, I don't use one particular style or one particular therapy. I use different parts of what I find works for each person. And so, how regularly are you having sessions at the moment? Um, at the moment, they're monthly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like, that's also something important to touch on is that, you know, even you, it's not just about having the sessions when you're in a really bad place, but I suppose there's that maintenance of it too. Like, Definitely. you're, you know, <clears throat> fairly high functioning right now. You know, you're out of bed every day. You're at work. You, uh, we have a laugh. We have a yarn. Like, yeah. but it's, it's the fact that you're still. Yeah. And for me too, I find that sometimes I'll think, oh, I probably don't really need this session this week or this month. And then I'll have it anyway, because I just figure, oh, well, there's no harm in doing it regardless. And I'll actually go into the session and she just gets all these things out of me that I don't, didn't even really realize. And I come out of it feeling better because I've just, I've just all of a sudden got this clarity on these things that I sort of hadn't even really realized were an issue. Um, 
or you know she's sort of helped me piece together things or you know and, and it's like you said it's, it's the maintenance of it because I think if I if I was to say to her look you know I'm coping fine on my own I probably would for a while and then I think I would just start to get overwhelmed again and I wouldn't know how to deal with it whereas having those just those regular appointments just to keep on top of it and it probably will get to the point where maybe we'll extend it to every six weeks or every eight weeks and then maybe it'll be maybe every six months, you know, just for that maintenance, just until I know how to handle whatever life throws at me, pretty much. So what are you doing between appointments to work on yourself? You know, like what do you – so you have your session, but I think that's the other thing is it can be a bit of a I have my session, we have the chat – you know, oh, that all makes sense. And then, you know, you hang up the phone or walk out of the doctor's office and then, you know, you can, it can be pretty easy to fall straight back into those thought oh, patterns or behaviours. Yeah. So what do you have to do on a day-to-day basis to keep working on yourself? <clears throat> um, the, this is where that awareness comes back into it, just being very aware of my own thoughts and pulling myself up on certain thoughts. There's that anxiety, you know, thinking, not taking things personally and, and knowing that, people's actions are a reflection of themselves not on me that's been a really big one for me um I think I I remember I used to get told a lot when I was younger that I took things too personally and I definitely did um looking back on it now I know that I did uh and even then that carried through to being an adult so learning not to take things personally being aware of why people do the things they do and say the things they do and then also being able to remove myself from those situations obviously not well physically as well but mentally taking that step back and giving myself that rest um mentally when I need it you know when I'm feeling really overwhelmed just sort of taking that step back and being like okay just you know even just that simple I know everyone says it's so cliche but doing those that deep breathing just giving yourself that one minute of respite basically just to bring yourself back to the present bringing yourself out of those anxious thoughts but it is it's so exhausting it can be so so exhausting because it's a constant thought process it's constantly being aware of all of those things I'm having my online sessions with my psychologist every month and I'm you know you like you said before we've we're very similar with our stories so what have you done since what what's your journey been with therapy personally I I mean I think I've always had a lot of social anxiety. I got bullied horrendously as a child. Like the bullying. I know they say, and I've spoken to psychologists, that like a lot of your issues can stem from the first three years of your life. But I'm like, you know what? I really think it was, you know, primary school and high Mm. school that really, you know, was the kicker for me. Like I don't, I've, I've tried some hypnotherapy and whatnot to be like, you know, I don't think there's any, there's not really any other major things that have happened in those. Cause you know, the first, the first three to four years are very pivotal in your life, but no, I really think it was just the way others treated me when I was a child, like at school. Um, and it's a lot of social anxiety and I knew, yeah, when I was, but then, you know, on and off the last 10 years going everywhere, being on stations, then I'd, you know, go on work jobs for a few months here and there between city and country, like just never was a thing. I knew when I was in America, it started to really affect me because I just, really withdraw or just, yeah, just the thoughts of, you know, people don't like me. Like, you know, I'd go out and hang with someone. I'd be like, oh, they don't want me to be here. Like, why? 
um, why, you know, oh, I must be, there must be like, why is this girl here? Why is she hanging out with us? And I, just I, for everyone listening, I'm sitting here nodding. nodding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would give some specific examples, but God forbid any of those people <laughs> ever listen. Like, um, And then, so yeah, when I came back to Broome, I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm settled down now. I thought I was going to be in Broome for a while. I was like, I'm going to try and sort this stuff out. And it didn't really work for me, those two psychologists. And so there was the, the ongoing, you know, historical issues that kind of stemmed from a lot of bullying. Um, but then I also found myself, and I think I have alluded to this. I don't know if I alluded to this on this podcast or on a different podcast I was on, but, um, in a really toxic work environment, like just by the time I left that job mid last year, my physical and mental health was just shot. Like I'm still physically ill, but it's been amazing to see the change in my mental health. So that for me was a particularly a very environmental effect. Yeah. It was just like the straw that broke the camel's yeah. back, I suppose. Mm. And I, um, and so I was, I was very lucky that my cousin is a mental health nurse. And I was like, listen, I want to, I want to pull my finger out. Like I've tried these therapies and broom. It's not working. I need to do something. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done. She referred me to, so there's a, it's called cognitive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a book that my sister bought me like 10 years earlier on it. And I'd never really gotten past like the first couple chapters. Um, but it's the gold standard of therapy around the world. And what my cousin actually told me is that um, I could go and do it as like a two week intensive course down in Perth through Perth Clinic. And what I had to do is I had to get, I had to go to my GP, ask for a referral to a psychiatrist, fly, well, no, I drove down to Perth. Um, got the, went and visited the psychiatrist because because they are connected to the clinic and you can only get into that course if one of their doctors refers you. And I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. I had my assessment. And he's like, yep, no worries. So then I did that for two weeks at the end of 2019. That was, so I took sick leave from work. I told my boss, I was like, hey, I'm, and like, I need to clarify that my boss and my immediate like um, colleagues were incredible people. It's just the broader everyone else in the government pretty much Mm -hmm. (laughs) like sorry guys but also not sorry like um so i did two weeks of nine to five in group therapy like with seven other strangers and then an extra week um of something else called dialectal behavior therapy which is called little dbt and that is kind of uh, like a mindfulness and um yeah, that one, I, to be honest, that one I got nothing out of. Mm. I didn't really understand it. And I was like, I'm going to stick with it. The CBT, though, has completely changed. Because for me, so I never really experienced the, I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed, I'm suicidal, I hate my life. You know, for me, it was just always this really toxic thought pattern that just held me back. Mm. And whether it's in social situations or any situations, and it, would, and it was very hit and miss because anybody who knows me knows that they would be like, you're not not confident or you're not, you know, anxious or whatever, but a very high functioning therapy. And that is something you learn these things, you learn about to recognize cognitive distortions, which are the unhealthy thinking styles and how to reframe them and how that how you can um, yeah, reframe things and then you how that all interconnects with, you know, the distortions and the beliefs and the and all these things. I have a whole manual um, from the time I was there and I've still got carrying a book around with me now and I use it almost every day. Like even honestly. I was about honest- to say you're, so, you're a lot better at um, 
wording things than I am because you you know the technical yeah, but I, terms. I've done the really intensive. Yeah, yeah. You, you know all the technical terms, terms for things like the reframing and, and the, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that was the other thing that I want to touch on in this episode is I didn't realize the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Mm. I thought a psychiatrist was for only if you're like a schizophrenic. No, a psychiatrist is a doctor, mm. like a medical doctor in mental health. Yeah, yeah, that has the ability to prescribe medication but they're like a psychologist on steroids like they're just like wait anyway oh, kicked myself on i was like why i should have been seeing one of them yeah i actually so the therapy was delivered by occupational therapists and now i'm trying to look into how i can become qualified to sort of deliver it and i'd love to because it's yeah but even today like i'm messaging you for hours and you're like and not you open one message and you didn't reply Sorry. I know. And then I messaged you a bunch more on Facebook and you, like, weren't opening them. And I was like, damn it, she doesn't want to, like, do the podcast. Like, and I wasn't a bit, see, this is, like, it at the minimal. And I was like, oh, she doesn't want to do the podcast. Um, Oh, no, she's probably really annoyed at me. Back in the old days, I probably would have had, like, real anxiety about that and be like, oh, my God, Matilda's upset at me or rah, rah. Whereas now I'm like, okay, she's not replying. She could be busy. She could be doing something else. I don't know until I know. I handle the situation yeah. so much better. Yep. And that's just a very basic example. So I think that applies for a lot of people, though. Yeah. yeah. Just simple, basic things like that can make such a, a difference to your, outright, your day outright, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And so that's where I really want to do a few more episodes. And if anybody's listening and you want to share your story and what you do to look after your mental health, I would love to have you on because – Say again, Jane Sale with her PTSD. She actually did something called EDMR or EMDR. Something is some eye therapy. She Google it. She's also got the story um, PTSD in the bush on our website. But hers was actually she went and saw a, I think it was a psychiatrist, and it's actually a a thing where they make you look at something and it like does something with your eye movements and it basically like resets your brain. Like it's a PTSD thing. It's a like. You know, so she could have gone and seen, you know, a counsellor for however long and that probably might not have done anything for, you know, might have helped a little bit. But you don't know until you really reach out there. And, and, you know, that's for that. That wasn't going to – that kind of therapy isn't um, recommended or necessarily going to help with what I've got or what you've got. Like, everything's different. And and I just want to take it beyond the it's okay not to be okay. Like, yeah, it's okay not to be okay. But so what am I doing? I am – actively identifying my cognitive distortions i'm pulling myself up on things i'm you are making sure that you are having your your maintenance appointments not just when you're feeling bad like this is what i want people to know that yes it's okay not to be okay but there's things you can be doing about should be doing yeah yeah the conversation goes so much on beyond that so let's finish up by sharing one piece of advice each i suppose what would you say to somebody listening that's really sitting on the fence about kind of taking charge of their mental health? For someone sitting on the fence, it's not going to change until you do. There's, you're not going to lose anything by trying to find help. And you might, like we were saying before, it might not be that first person you go see. But there's so many different options out there that there's, there's no harm in trying. It's only going to be beneficial there's it's never it's very rarely going to be a negative experience for someone to seek out help for their mental health what about you i think that your health is the most valuable thing you have your health and your time and whether it's you know there's no point in having physical health if you don't have mental health there's no point in having money if you don't have mental health 
everything stems from your mental health. And I just think that has got to be like first mental health, then physical health, then family, whatever else you can put your priorities after that. But if you are at your prime mental health, everything flows on from that. But if you are not at operating at full capacity, then your earning capacity is limited. Your capacity to have relationships is limited. Your capacity to enjoy your bloody life is limited. So yes, sometimes, you know, you can get however many free sessions and then it gets expensive, but add up how much we spend on online shopping or Maccas or whatever else. And just think once you knock this on their head like the you know yes there may be ongoing expenses and you know if you do some intensive therapy it may be an expense but once you knock that on the head I just I couldn't think of a better way to spend my money I agree definitely 100% agree cool so everyone we're gonna put lots of stuff in the show notes if you are wanting to chat about anything you know I'm gonna do a couple of different episodes with people throughout the year because again Matilda and I are very much our experiences are with unhealthy and unhelpful thought patterns and the way we process things and the way um, basically our beliefs relate to activating events and what the consequences of that are so that's the ABC model of cognitive behavior therapy but you know like I said we've had people with PTSD with all sorts of different you know um I don't know. There's all different. It manifests. There's all, you know, it's such a spectrum. So I want to get everyone else out here just so we can really break it down and be like, hey, it presents in all different ways and Mm -hmm. everyone handles it differently and approaches it differently. And it's about time we move this conversation along. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, Matilda. It wasn't so bad, was it? Well, it was still pretty scary. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au and we're also on Twitter at centralstation6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.